What up? You're listening to the Lifestyle Practice Podcast. We gon' make it all the way. We don't care what they all will say. Don't listen to the hate, no. Listen to my fate, yo. Destined to be great, yo. Hello, everybody. Welcome to this week's episode on the Lifestyle Practice Podcast. I'm Steve, and I'm here with the one and only Dr. Justin Short. Justin, what's happening? Are you in a deer stand right now? Thanks, Steve. Thanks for having me today on this podcast that I share with you. Yeah, I just put in a fat water beech nut, and we're going live 20 feet off the ground in this tree. No, that's not actually a true story. Actually, I'm home today. My oldest daughter, Reese, turned 11 today, so it's been her day. Been celebrating her. How are you doing? Nice. That sounds fun. We're doing very well, thanks. We uh, we just went to the zoo this past weekend, so um, uh, I don't like to kill animals or deer. I I just find it nice to look at them, so that's kind of how, how we look at it, but... No, I'm just kidding. I just like to rile hunters. You're great. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks, Steve. I appreciate it. It's funny when meeting people for the first time lately, and you know when you meet somebody for the first time, they're always like, so what do you do for a living? And instead of saying dentist lately or, or coach, I just say, I'm a hunter. And then they look at me funny. It's a true story. And <laughs> they look at me funny and ask, you get paid to hunt? I said, no. And I just let it hang. It's like, <laughs> See what see what they're going to do with that. And most of the time they're like, "Oh, okay." Uh, anyways, I'll talk to you later. So that's what I do for fun now, Steve. Someday you will be old and retired from hands-on dentistry, and you'll come up with fun things to screw around with people. Yeah, I'll just life sur- doesn't get any better than that. <laughs> just surviving off your own hunting, nice. Yep. Well, let's jump to it. We got a good one today. We're going to be talking about. Three bad habits that many people carry that can hold dentists back. Beach nut is one of those. That's why I brought that up earlier. <laughs> Don't do beach nut in right. front of patients. Just put a mask on or something, at least. You know, true. another true story. Sorry to cut you off. This <laughs> is a true story, and I, th- I find it remarkable. So a lot of people know if you listen to that first episode where I kind of told my story, I had two associates in the second practice I bought that let the practice decline. Uh The second associate in there would chew while he was working (laughs) on patients. No kidding. Really? I was, I'm out. I can't make this stuff up. It was true. Like he wouldn't like spit, but, and he would try to hide it, but everyone knew what he was doing. Like, bro, you can't do that. Like that goes against, I mean, you want to chew, go ahead and chew. Just don't do it in front of my freaking patients when I'm paying you. So it's, it's, it's amazing. That sounds like a good hire right there. That's great. <laughs> Honestly, it sounds like something. If I had heard it, it was someone else's story. I'd be like, that dude's pretty cool. But since it was my office and it was going in the yapper, I, was, uh, I wasn't I was as impressed as I would be now. I'd be like, I got to talk to that guy. We should That's call him up awesome, and interview him. That's bold. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe he's hearing this. That'd be great. <laughs> that is bold. So anyways, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. No, no, that we'll, we'll call that a fourth one. Don't do that. But back to the other three, I mean, you can call this, you know, this poor mindset or bad practices, maybe like a character flaw, whatever you want. But these are some things that we've seen really prevent people from reaching their potential. 
And really, they apply to all of us in some degree of another. So listen in and think about how to avoid these pitfalls. Number one, first one, stop worrying about what other people think. This really applies to life in general, but we're going to kind of focus on how it affects our businesses. It is human nature to desire to be accepted by others and, you know, please everybody around you. We're humans. We're social beings. We like validation from others. And because of this, it's very easy to hope that people think positively positively of you and to worry about what others think of you if you're not sure what they're thinking. So it's important to realize that what other people think of you really has very little effect on your success. And your worrying about what others may think is really just a waste of your time and it's a waste of your emotional energy. And it probably is going to throw up some false assumptions in your mind that keep you from making good business choices. True. (laughs) If I really contemplated what I think people think of me sometimes, I'd be paralyzed, I think. I don't even like to think about it. But where I see this a lot is not even necessarily the concern about what others think about them, like if they think I'm a good person or I'm a bad person, they agree with me, don't agree with me. It kind of is about that. But what I see quite often is what others think about life in general that we let affect us. If you think about it, I'm not judging, but it, it is a proven fact that most people revert to the mean in their lives. We feel like we're keeping up with everyone around us and that's good enough. Or maybe those who really push it are okay with pushing the envelope a little bit, maybe, you know, maybe we have a little bit nicer car, we have a little bit nicer house, or a little bit more time off, whatever it is. But very few can look at those around them, whether it be friends or family or people you see at the grocery store, and block out their their position in life and want something that is very extraordinarily above them. It's kind of the mentality of keeping up or just being just a little bit better is enough. Not really what all is possible. And where we want to push and help is those who are willing to step out and say, I don't care what so-and-so has. Beating them is not my standard. Being the best I can be, tapping into my full potential is what I want. And admittedly, I struggled with this early on. You know, when I graduated, I thought a good dental income was 300000 And I don't know... Why I picked that number, but that was kind of my goal. I hit it and then plateaued. And it wasn't until it really sank in that 300,000 isn't the end all be all. So what if that's, so what if that's what others do? What I can't, why can't I do double or triple or whatever that? Who says I can't? When I purchased my first practice, it was doing about 600,000, three ops, four days a week. And the broker was like, bro, you could, you could definitely grow this practice to 800,000, you know, and granted still not a lot then, but I mean, this was 14 years ago. So what, that's what I did because he told me that's what I could do. So I grew it to 800,000, but again, until that light bulb went off, that was like, wait, why am I stopping at 800,000 on four days a week? Where did that info come from? That's BS that we ended up going, you know, up to 1.2 on three days a week before I eventually sold it. And the point is we allow people to put these glass ceilings over us. And I know the term glass ceiling is kind of cliche and we think it doesn't apply to us, but I would argue it usually does whether we know it or not. 
So I know you have some other good examples. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a good point of comfortable comparisons, you know, just looking around at the status quo and making yourself feel good compared to the normal or the mean, like you said. Yeah. Some other examples of this in dentistry, a lot of dentists are scared to talk about increasing production in your office with your staff because they fear that team members might think that they're, you know, just a greedy dentist. And this holds you back because, well, let's face it, you're a business owner. You've put hundreds of thousands of dollars on the line and you want to be profitable while you treat your patients great. So don't let the worry of what a dental assistant might not understand prevent you from taking your practice where it needs to go. Communicate properly with your staff about building your practice and doing more dentistry. I think lots of other dentists worry about what other dentists think about them, if that makes sense. And this, whether it's preventing you from, you know, really doing some good marketing out there, or if it's you second guessing your clinical abilities, wondering if, you know, someone else is going to be over your shoulder or reviewing or talking with this patient, holding some of those weird thoughts in your head that other dentists don't like you is, it's just not helpful in any way. So go ahead and market your practice. Do your best. Don't speak ill of dentists. And, you know, if someone out there may not like you or may be envious of you, it's no sweat off your back. Right. And actually, I'd say you should be operating your business so that others are envious. Listen, if if I have five dentists around me in my town and we know one is going to be liked less because they're kicking the other four people's butts, I want to be that one. I don't want to be one of the four just so I can fit in with my other three buddies and be like, hey, let's go to the bar tonight and talk about how much we suck. I want to be the one that's like, yeah, you guys probably don't want to call me because you probably feel like losers. Show me a good loser and I will show you a loser. Yeah. If, if not, if, you're, if you don't feel like that, in my opinion, something's wrong with me and my business. I wasn't in the business of providing for their families or paying off their loans. It doesn't mean I was going to like, talk bad about them. I wasn't, or I wasn't going to set their office on fire in the middle of the night, but I was going to run my business, treat my patients and provide for and train my team. Like I wanted to put them out of business. That's how I looked at it. And if they went out of business, sorry, but I'm not really sorry because you had every opportunity I had. I wonder if you did like cause the practices on your street to like plummet when you, <laughs> when you I came into so, your second practice. I, I mean, I think <laughs> I, like I said, I would have been okay if that happened. <laughs> but I don't think it really happened. I mean, there's yeah. plenty of patients to go around. I think we just all fear that there's not enough patients to go around. Very true. Very true. So, and here's one common one that we've already been speaking about a lot recently, but worrying about what your patients may think or feel with about you if you tell them they need a lot of treatment. Tell them, tell them you just want to let them know what is going on in their mouth so they can fix things before it gets worse. This makes you an ally on their side rather than a salesman trying to push something. Are you worried they may not like you if you tell them they need something? Try seeing what happens if you don't tell them about something and it later on becomes a real problem. That is no fun. And I've had that happen a time or two. I and I'm not going to let it happen again. <laughs> I think we all have. But in general, just remember, don't worry about what others may or may not think. You don't have control over it. I really like the saying someone said, in your 20s, you worry about what others think about you. In your 40s, you don't care what other people think about you. And in your 60s, you realize nobody was ever thinking about you in the first place. It's good business advice and really kind of good life advice as well. 
you have enough on your plate. You don't need to be affected by all the negativity from other people's opinions, whether real or imagined. And let's be honest, this is easier said than done though, right? Personally, for me, it's still a work in progress, even for coaching, you know, trying to, trying to keep it real here. I feel the pressure to be commenting on everything under the sun on social media and throwing out humble brags left and right, like a lot of other people do, or going to every seminar to shake hands and kiss babies and all that. But I had to come to the realization that that's just not me. That's not who I am. And for the majority of the time, that's not how I want to spend my time. I'd rather be spending my time on clients, helping them kill it and living life on my terms, opposed to trying to keep up with the imaginary world of the dental popularity contest and trying to give off the perception that I'm living the life opposed to actually living the life, which is what I aim to do. I aim to be the guy, maybe you don't know about it. Maybe no one knows about it, but reason you don't know about it. Cause I ain't got time to sit on there and be like, Hey guys, check me out. And such and such doing such and such driving my such and such with this hot <laughs> such and such. If no one knows it, but me great. So what I'm still doing it. I don't care if you know, that being said, I'm going to be live at the midwinter dental conference in Chicago in February. I'm not speaking or anything, just going there for fun with, well, I mean, I'll, wow. I'll go to, I'll probably go to some classes and I'll walk the floor stuff, but I try to meet up nice. with some buddies there for dental school and we kick it for a few days, but I'm not kissing no babies and I won't be wearing a dental nacho shirt Stuff like that. So I'd <laughs> probably reach out to TLP community and see if anybody else is going to be there as we get closer. It's still like not till February. Yeah, that sounds fun. That makes me laugh. A nacho shirt. You know, you could probably just go without a shirt instead. You know what? That would be more your That's style. interesting. If I did that, people would see the TLP tat across my chest and then <laughs> Doug Life yeah. across my abs. <laughs> yeah. Both of them. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I don't have two abs. That would be pretty that cool. That would be cool. Be but that gives me an idea. Gives me a goal, Steve. <laughs> yeah. I'll have to check out the conference. That's kind of far away, though. All right. Hey, number two. Number two here. I am a little guilty of this. That's why it's, it's on my mind. But number two is procrastination. Uh, we all do it. This can come in two ways. One is putting off tasks that we know we need to do. And then the second one is just delaying decisions until later. So the first part concerning putting off until tomorrow stuff we know we should do today. Tasks or problems we know we need to take care of will inevitably only get worse and more expensive if we put them off until later. It was pretty interesting. I read a psychology paper recently on why people procrastinate. And it was kind of eye-opening. Procrastinators are not really bad time managers. It's not that they don't know how to plan or schedule. Instead, procrastinating is an emotional problem. People feel uncomfortable doing tasks that are unpleasant. And rather than face their problem, it is more pleasant to just push it away continually until they no longer have any choice. They often feel anxiety about facing what's ahead of them. So they choose to use their time and energy on things that make them feel more at ease. Pretty interesting. It's an emotional thing, not a scheduling thing. And I thought this applies to us as leaders in our practices. You know, how often do we tolerate an employee underperforming because it's uncomfortable 
to pull them aside and have a course correction talk with them. It's easier, at least in the short term, to just work around it, you know, doing things that we're good at and we're comfortable doing. But sure enough, if we just put it off, it will only become worse and more difficult to address down the road. You know, how many dentists slide into the office right at opening time? You know, being at home, doing something we enjoy for a little longer in the mornings is easier than heading into the office and getting down to business. But skating in late continually sends the exact opposite message of we want of what we want our team to embrace. Real quick, it was, I think it was Bill Blatchford, like 14 years ago, I think that told me this. Or I heard someone say it, I don't remember. But I used this line a lot. I didn't come up with it, but I use it a lot. And I, I think it's true. If you want to make $100,000 more than you did last year, get to your office 20 minutes before everyone else does every day and get prepared. I think it's true. I think if you get there, you get prepared, you look over your schedule, you see where you're at, figure out what you need to do, kind of visualize that day in your head, get pumped up, listen to the TLP podcast. Like, <laughs> this is going to happen. Yeah. yeah, it's so true. When you do that, you're never going to like walk into an operatory and be like, oh, I remember you and this was the problem and this is what we were talking right. about. No, there's there's no surprises. Yep. You're you're ready for the day. I like that though. 20 minutes earlier. That's cool. So that and any other business task, whether it's, you know, finances, taxes, office r- improvements or repairs, maybe hiring or firing an employee, all these things become larger tasks the longer we wait. Remember, it isn't really your time or schedule that is putting these things off. It's our lack of emotional readiness and courage to really tackle problems and get things done. Yeah. Some people would call that being soft. Yeah. Soft. That never mind. I, I had a good comment about that paper you said you read. I'm picturing that paper <laughs> you read like, hey, I'm picturing it not being like this is so riveting. But the second thing is I'm like, <laughs> I'm picturing the headline being like shocking discovery. People like doing things that make them comfortable more than things they hate doing. It hooked me. <laughs> like, whoa, that's, that's an interesting hypothesis. Anyways, moving on. Well, Go the, ahead. yeah, like Google presented it to me, uh, so I think it knows me too well. Right. So It's better in porn. Yeah. So I'm glad that's what they figured out you'd want to read instead of something. Never mind. <laughs> it, yeah. Going back to topic as far as procrastination. <laughs> Brian Tracy has a great book out there called Eat That Frog. And I'm sure some of you have heard of it. Some of you are wondering who Brian Tracy is. Either way, it's a good book. And the premise is this. If you know you have to eat a frog every day, like we all know, that's going to suck. No one wants to do that. But if that's the case, you have to do it. It should be the first thing you do every day to get it over with and do the hard things first. And obviously that frog represents whatever it is in your life. If it's working out, that's your hard part. Get up, get it done, move on with your day. And I think you touched briefly on a really good point. I want to make sure we don't skip over it. And that is the workaround, which is what I see the most often. Most of us don't go into like this full on avoidance mode. In my opinion, we work on something easier or more comfortable for us than actually confronting the problem head on and fixing it at the root. For example, let's say we have a front desk who isn't good at answering the phone. Their conversion for getting new patients that that call in Converting into actual patients in our chair is in the gutters. But it's hard for a lot of us to have that conversation, either because it's interpersonally awkward or we don't want to put the efforts in to train them. So what's something we could do? We can pour more money into marketing because then at least we're doing something. We're putting some effort in. We're we're working on our problem because it's more comfortable for us to spend some more money on marketing than to work with our front desk to increase conversion. You know, it's more comfortable 
for us to spend the money on getting 30 new patients to call the office, knowing we're going to convert 30% of those, opposed to putting the time in, calling in our front desk to our office for an hour and say, hey, I love you, but this is an area we need to work on. So for an hour each week for the next two months, you and I are going to work together so that we begin increasing our conversion to 75% of the new patients who call in end up scheduling appointments. Sound good? Good. Now you got to follow through and do it. Or maybe it could be co-diagnosis. You know, with hygiene, let's say your co-diagnosis is horrible, but we're afraid to ask them or teach them how to take intraoral photos and discuss that number 30 with cracks all over it with the patient. So instead of working on that, we go to a weekend CE course where we're comfortable sitting in the back row of the class and we figure bringing in that new skill to up production is easier for us and less work and more comfortable for us than having that conversation and training our hygienist. Because what if she gets pissed? You know, what if she says, hey, don't tell me what to do. Don't tell me how to make my performance better. I'm out of here, man. Good luck finding another hygienist. Yeah. You know, I think in our mind, that's what we think is going to happen. Reality, it's not. If it is, it's what needs to happen anyway. So it's a win-win, in my opinion. But we try to avoid the hard stuff with working on easier stuff. So we're still working on something. But that's what I see a lot of times. Yeah, yeah, it's so true. I, I think CE is great. Don't get me wrong. But that example is so true. I know lots of dentists that it, they'd rather just fly across the country to a faraway place for a weekend and rather than just have, you know, a couple uncomfortable conversations and the conversations will have a, obviously a much bigger ROI. So yeah, good example. All right, let's do the other side of procrastination. And, you know, these are not necessarily tasks that we know how to do that. We're just putting them off because we don't like them, but these are more so decisions that we need to make, but we're not sure exactly what is the best path. So we delay something interesting. I have found in very successful people out there, they make decisions quick. And then after their efficient decisions, they start carrying out their plans right away. There's very little hesitation. They're really not focused on what could go wrong. They're not really worried about failing or problems. They're, They're moving. Lots of dentists, we suffer from, you know, paralysis from analysis. We can't finish or sometimes we can't even start something because we are so concerned it has to be perfect. I see this a lot when the vision isn't clear. When you don't know what you're aiming for or what your final destination is, it makes it much harder to make decisions, which costs you in a lot of areas. And most notably, my opinion is time. If I pull out of my driveway and I don't know where I'm going, I don't know where I should go straight, make a left, make a right. So at every turn, I sit there and think, should I go this way? Should I go that way? Doesn't matter. Blah, blah, blah. But when you know exactly where you're headed or where you're aiming for, you can use that as your true north. A decision comes up. I know this is where I want to get to. Does this making this decision take me closer or further from my destination? Okay, closer so I can do it. Or, oh, I really want to hire another person in the office, but staff overhead is at 30% and my goal is 25%. I can't do it. Easy. I don't need to sit there and be like, "Eh, should I do it? Should I not? You don't have to. You know what the goal is. You know where you should be and you make it and you move on. That doesn't. And then in that circumstance, in that example, you need to find another solution to whatever issue it is that you're facing that is making you think you need to hire someone else. 
you know, is it scheduling? Is it efficiency? Yeah. Is it training? What is it? Doesn't mean we let the problem go on. It means no, this isn't a way to solve that problem because it takes us further from our destination. Yeah, very true. You know, some other examples. A few have been meaning to get around to do some marketing to bring more patients in, but you just haven't done it because you're not totally sure what is the best way to market. You're probably in this boat. If you've been needing to implement a new system in your practice for a while now, but you haven't because you're not totally sure what every result will be when it plays out, this applies to you. And it's important to realize that a really good intentioned decision, even though it may not be best, some action will always be better than no action. You know, procrastinating rather than making the big, hard decisions really applies, I think, to ownership. I speak with a good number of dentists who know it is way more profitable to own a practice. They have clinical skills. They have communication skills that can lead a team, but they just can't make the leap into ownership. Lots of times they even have the tools and information on how to research and evaluate practices, but they, they kind of just put it, put off seriously considering it or they worry there might be, you know, something down the road that could be better that they just don't know about it. So they decide not to do anything. Now, obviously, purchasing a practice is a huge business decision, and it should not be a rash, hasty move. But more often than not, the error I see is people waiting until that someday down the road when you're ready for it. But really, there isn't ever a time when you're ready for it. So if you're an associate and you know that you want to be an owner, do your research, get some help, and then start making your moves. Fortune favors the bold. No, Delaying is not going to help. One thing I would add, and I use this a lot, doctors calling, they're getting ready to take over practice, and they want help with the transition, but they're really nervous. Should I do this? Should I not? One thing I like to point out to them is it's all right to be nervous. You know, it's, I'm sure you were nervous. I was nervous. I think most every honest doctor out there would tell you they were nervous when they bought their first practice or maybe the first couple of practices. But the thing is, you're going to be nervous. You're going to be uncomfortable whatever those feelings are, whether you do it two years after graduation or you do it 20 years after graduation. If you associate yeah. for one year or you associate for 15 years, you will still have those same exact feelings. So I'm not saying there's a magic time where you got to do it straight out of school or one, two, three, four, 50 years out. That's not the point. The point is be prepared. doesn't matter. You're never going to get to the point where you're like, man, I don't have a care in the world. I got this down, no questions, what have you. So know that you're going to have them. And that's okay. You work through them. You get help if you need it. And bada boom, bada bing. Yep. Yep. Great advice. That kind of leads us into our last one, number three, and it's laziness. There isn't really something profound that we're going to incite to you here other than Let's get off of our lazy butt, stop making excuses, and do the stuff we know needs to be done. You know, dentistry isn't really a complex business. I kind of laugh when I see people on the social forums talking about getting an MBA to help them with their practice, you know, or when people say, you know, dentists just aren't able to be business owners because they learn clinical things in dental school. I mean, relative to other businesses, we have a very small staff and we do relatively simple things over and over and over, none of which really require complex know-how or genius ability. 
most of us, I would say, at least know the basic things we should be doing to run our practice. The problem is that we're just often too lazy to actually make it happen. It's similar to to diet and fitness. Everybody knows how to be healthy. Everyone knows that eating right and exercising will do it for you, but very few people do it just because it takes commitment and willpower. So how does that apply to us? When a patient comes in right before lunch or towards closing time, what do we do? Are we going to get them in? Are we going to present treatment? Are we going to do as much treatment as possible? Or are we going to take the easy, lazy way out? When we should be holding a team meeting and doing training, are we doing it? Or are we just going to kind of keep the status quo and do what's easier? At home, when we have some open time, does Netflix or, you know, something else get our attention? Or are we putting in the time to improve our businesses? If you have big goals, and I think most people associated with lifestyle practice have this vision and have big goals, understand that we're not going to reach these things and these goals by doing normal things that other people do. You've got to yeah. put in the effort. And there's a direct correlation before between the effort someone puts in and the results they get. I think effort and work ethic, in my opinion, are the great equalizers. I can't control how smart I am in comparison to you or anyone else. I can't control, I was born into a rich family, poor family. If you already have a practice, you can't control where it's located or who your patient base is, but you can control the work you put into it. I can outwork you. I can get up earlier. I can stay up later. And in my opinion, in most cases, if you do that consistently enough, long enough, that's going to trump besides those other more possibly, you know, than someone who, well, I'm a little bit smarter than you, whatever that may be. Yeah. Yeah. I used to assume that like the ultra successful people out there got where they were because of some rare circumstance or just luck. You know, they were like right in the right position or they made a discovery that became larger than they were expecting. But I don't think that's really the case anymore. I I watched uh, recently the documentary on Bill Gates. I didn't really know his story and I just assumed he was kind of one of those people that fortune had found him. But he was relentless, like working and pushing all day and like oftentimes all night for years, for decades. Yes, his brain is like brilliant and no doubt there were probably favorable circumstances involved while he was founding Microsoft and developing computers. But the results seemed to go to him rather than all the others that he was associating with or competing with because of his endless drive. I love that you brought that up because we like to think that the Tom Brady's, Michael Jordan's, Bill Gates, you name it, LeBron James are just born better. And that's why they're better. But if you study them, you find out they put in the effort that those around them weren't willing to do. If you read the book, Relentless, Michael Jordan was the first one to practice and the last one to leave and hired his own personal coach outside of what the Chicago Bulls provided for him. Last year, 2018, I don't know why I go to basketball. I'm not like the world's biggest basketball fan, but some cool stories there. Last year, 2018, I went to a Cavs-Celtics playoff game in Cleveland. We got there early to watch them warm up because we wanted to see LeBron, but he wasn't out there. So I asked one of the ushers kind of keeping us back off the court where LeBron was. Like, hey, man, when's LeBron coming out? That's why I'm here. And (laughs) he kind of chuckled and said, 
LeBron gets here way earlier in the day. He's already warmed up for a couple hours, and he's in the locker room preparing, watching video or what have you. And that's a true story. And for me, it was such an aha moment. Like, no kidding. Like, maybe he's not that much better than everyone else was on his team. But what if everyone else on his team put in that same effort, showed up when he showed up, warmed up as long as he warmed up, and then had plenty of time to go back and review film of the other team before the game, opposed to coming out 30 minutes before the game, shooting hoops for 20 minutes, and saying they're ready. And they're still, I'm not saying, knocking them down. Like, they had to do work to get where they are. But there's a reason, you know, there's people in the NBA, and then there's the Michael Jordans. There's people in the NBA, and there's the LeBron James. There's people in dentistry, and there's Steve Vandegraaff. So, yeah, you know, it's, yeah, I like that one. it's what if everyone <laughs> put in that same amount of effort? And again, I think it would be a big equalizer. But most of us aren't. We're happy with yeah. good enough. Yeah. That's a really cool story. I didn't know that about him. I like it. So, you know, yeah, uncommon success only comes after uncommon effort and nothing significant is created without pain and effort. So that's like some quote. I'm not sure who said it. So I think I'll probably just attribute it to Derek. But the idea is how are we using our time? Are we really giving our best effort? So let's wrap it up. Folks, don't be lazy. Act now instead of procrastinating and stop worrying about what somebody else may think about what you're doing. Remember why we're talking about all this stuff. What we want, what we talk about and teach here at TLP is meant to make our practices profitable and allow us to have freedom in our personal lives to do what we find fulfilling. So it's worth taking an inventory of ourselves and improving in these areas as needed. I think that's really good to emphasize what you just said. And that is we push, but with an end goal in mind. You know, we're not stupid. <clears throat> we're not masochists or thinking, let's just work really hard to say we worked really hard and to feel good about ourselves. That's not, you know, that's not why we push clients. That's not why we talk like about what we do on the, the podcast. That's not how we feel ourselves. We work hard because it's a mm -hmm. means to an end. When you have goals that excite you, they make the work worthwhile. If your goal is to be just a little bit better than the Dr. Goodman down the street, then good chance that's not going to keep you going when you hit rough time or you don't feel like putting in the effort. And that's why proper goal setting and pushing yourself beyond often what you think is even possible at that certain point in time. You've got to set those, those goals in the right place. You know, they've got to excite you and make it worthwhile to put in the hard work. If not, you're not going to do it, period. Yeah. And if you need help or if you want to set goals, we'd love to help. If you've got a question, you can reach out to us, Derek, Justin, or Steve at thelifestylepractice.com. You know, or you can post a question on the Lifestyle Practice Facebook page as we're really bringing in some collective knowledge with all the new members there. So there's yep. some good discussions happening. And also make sure to sign up you can sign up on our website to get on our email list where we send you out a lot, not like every day or anything, but what we do send out is poignant, it's free content, it's tips, tactics, etc. We're not just going to send you things of that are no use to waste both of our times. As always, we would love for you to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, leave a review, only if it's good. If it's not, you just don't have to listen anymore. And yeah, that's it. If you need anything, reach out. But until next week. Peace. Later.